At the moment of the Big Bang, an entire universe full of energy came into existence. And with it, space. It all inflated, just like a balloon being blown up. So where did all this energy and space come from? How does an entire universe full of energy, the awesome vastness of space, and everything in it simply appear out of nothing? For some, this is where God comes back into the picture. So it may not surprise you, but you can count me among the some who believe that this is where God comes back into the picture. Hey, Kairos, my name is Danny. I am a pastor here. I'm so glad to be with you. Uh, whether you're here in the room in Ames or if you're watching online or if you're in Iowa City, I am just really glad that you're here. And I want to ask you a question about how you got here. How did you get here tonight? If anybody here rode a bus, would you raise your hand? Did you ride a bus to get here? Okay, some people rode a bus. Awesome. Or maybe not. I don't know. If, if, you, if you drove a car to get here tonight, go ahead and raise your hand. If you rode in someone else's car to get here tonight, go ahead and raise your hand. There you go. Some of you are like, car, bus, I wasn't sure which one. So whether you're in Ames or you're in Iowa City, you got here somehow. That's how you got here. And what if that was it? Like, that's the only reason why we showed up tonight, just to talk about how we got here. It's an important question because if you know how you got here, you also will know how to get home. You'll know how to get here next week. It's an important and it's a good question. But even more importantly than that, we're here to ask the question, why are we here? There's a deeper question than the how. How is important, but why is even better? I want us to think about that as we dive into this new series called Origin. I want us to not just consider the hows, but the whys of life the purpose of life. We're going to be studying a book, and it's called Genesis. It's the very first book that's in the Bible, all the way back at the very beginning. And the book of Genesis talks about the beginnings of the earth, about the beginnings of human history. It's a complicated story. The world is a wild place. Humans are really complex. But as we study this series together, we're going to find that God cares deeply. God cares deeply about us. And so I invite you to read through the entire book of Genesis with us over the next 50 days. Take that reading guide that you got tonight, either here in person or if you're going to get the digital copy of that, you can take that as well. Make sure that you're following along with that. And then if you're a part of our Ames group, show up on Sundays after church. We're going to have that Bible brunch, and we're going to study even deeper, take a look at what we've been reading about the stories and the texts in the book of Genesis. And after 50 days, we're going to be able to have read all the way through the book of Genesis, and we're going to be able to have connected with God better. Because as we connect with God, God reveals to us the why, the purpose. It's a more fun question than the how. I mean, how is important, but the why is even better. And so tonight, as we start this series, we are going all the way back to the very beginning of the very beginning in the book of Genesis. So I invite you, whether you have a Bible here tonight or if you have your Bible app, go ahead and open that up to Genesis chapter 1 and turn to the person next to you and say, we're going way back. We are going way back tonight. Genesis 1, chapter 1, the very first page, the very first verse of the Bible, God's word. It says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the earth. 
Now that's pretty cool, isn't it? Like it's taking us all the way back to the beginning. And at our first glance, we might think that the Bible is just telling us how did we get here? How did the earth form? How did time start about how we got here, right? Have you heard about the James Webb, James Webb Telescope? This thing is so cool. Here's what it looks like. The James Webb Telescope is floating a million miles away from the earth. Isn't that crazy? A million miles. It launched on December 25th, and its purpose is to help us understand how we got here. The James Webb Telescope is absolutely groundbreaking. To put it in perspective, the most famous telescope that came before this one was the Hubble Telescope. And the Hubble Telescope has shot out images and, re and retrieved them back to Earth for us for years and years and years. The Hubble Telescope floats in orbits around the Earth just 340 miles above the Earth's surface. So this one is floating a million miles away from the Earth. How crazy is that? Like I said, its purpose is to tell us how we got here. The way that it can do that is it can see up to 13.7 billion light years away. This is fascinating stuff. In case you're like me, and maybe you don't always know about this stuff right off the top of your head, a light year is the distance, uh, the amount of time, excuse me, a light year is the distance that light can travel in a year. Clearly, I'm a scientist. Can you tell? Light is, or light year is the amount of distance that it takes for light to travel in a year. And so the, the Webb telescope can see 13.7 billion light years away. That means that the, the telescope, the thing, whatever its name is, can look 13.7 billion years back in time. And as it looks back in time, 13.7 billion years, its objective is to try to tell us more about how we got here. It's fascinating. And I just got to say, I just got to say, I think that it'd be so cool if when we look and it retrieves an image and it shows us there's just God standing there turning on a light switch like, hey, you know, or I don't know, maybe he's hitting a drum. It's a big bang. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. It's fascinating stuff. It's the how of how we got here. And I think that that's really neat. But again, I wonder if there's something deeper. I wonder if there's something more important that we should be going for. Because the hows in life will give us the information. It will give us historical facts. And those are so important. But the whys of life, well, the why gives us our purpose. It gives us our reason. It gives us our hope. You didn't come here tonight to talk about how you got here. You came here tonight to talk about why you got here. Why did we get here? Let's take a look at our text again. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It continues to say that then God said, let there be light. Turn to the person next to you and say, let there be light. Let there be light. Nothing happened. What's wrong with you, right? Like it shows already, like there's something special about God because when God just says, let there be light, when God produces a word, when the word of God speaks, creation responds. God said, let there be light, and there was light. It says, evening passed, and morning came, and that marked the first day. Now, here is where oftentimes Christians will get really stuck on stuff. We'll get up in arms about this, because we get caught up in the how of it, rather than digging deeper and maybe trying to understand what God's word is really trying to tell us, the why. Because it says at the, end of that, uh, at the end of that verse there, at the end of verse 5, it says, that, end, that marked the end of the first day. Now, in Genesis 1, it covers seven different days. It says that God created for six days, and on the seventh day, God rested. And if you kind of 
put that in alignment with the stories and the other events that happen in the book of Genesis, there are people who will come to the conclusion and say that the earth must then therefore be 6,000 to 10,000 years old. It's a fairly young earth compared to what a lot of the scientific community will say. There are a lot of Christian circles that teach that. And we can get really, really stuck up on that. Now, here's the reason why I want to address this tonight. I'm not addressing this because I'm trying to stir the pot, because I want to add more fuel to the fire, more fuel to the debate. I want to talk about this because this is something that gets people stuck. Because people from the scientific community, or people just from the secular, this telescope that just got launched in outer space is going to be seen 13.7 billion years back in time, but the Bible's telling me that the Earth is only 6,000 to 10,000 years old? What's the... That doesn't add up! And I wonder, I wonder how many, I mean, I'm not even kidding, I wonder how many millions of people throughout all the years have come to this and gone up in arms about it, said it has to be a 24-hour day that God created the world in in 24-hour segments. I wonder how many millions of people have walked away from their faith just right at that. Because they've been told, you can't believe in God unless you believe that God created the world in seven 24-hour days and that this world is 6,000 to 10,000 years old. It's important for us to know this. If you do believe that, like I said, there are a lot of Christian circles who teach that, I'm not going to try to change your mind. You don't have to change that to have a relationship with God. You don't have to change that to belong in this community because that's not the point. But if we take an honest look at what the Bible really says and at the purpose and the why behind the word of God, we might be surprised about what we find. And again, I'm addressing this because I know that there are a lot of people who have walked away from faith because of this very issue. And maybe there are people in the room tonight, whether you're watching here in Ames or in Iowa City, who are struggling with that same thing. See, the book of Genesis was not written in English. And it was not written with 21st century science in mind. It wasn't written with 21st century readers in mind either. The book of Genesis was written in ancient Hebrew. And the word for day in the Hebrew looks like this. It's yom. Everybody say yom. Yom, yom can mean a 24-hour period of time. But it also means an age, always, continually, daily, birth, each, and then again, and there's today. According to Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, which is uh, a book, a concordance that basically takes all of the different words of the Bible, whether that's in the ancient Hebrew or in the ancient biblical Greek that's used in the New Testament, and it finds out all of their various meanings and uses and adds them up and to, get, to give us a better understanding of what the original authors were trying to say. Now, according to Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, a 24-hour period of time when it comes to talking about a day is about the sixth most common use for that word. The sixth most common. That means that there are five other uses in the Bible for this word yom that don't actually just mean a 24-hour period of time. It's more like an age. So look, if you do believe that, the Bible, that God created the earth in six 24-hour days and then rested for a seventh 24-hour day, it's possible. Maybe the author of Genesis was trying to say that. I, I, maybe. But it's probably more likely... That in the book of, in Genesis chapter 1, what it's really saying is in that age. In that age, God created light. In that age, God created humanity. And at the end, in that age, God rested. Genesis chapter 1 is not just about the how. Genesis chapter 1 is not just about time. 
It's about our identity. It's about our nature. It's about our purpose. It's about things that are more important than how. Again, how will give you a list of information and facts, but the why will give you purpose, will give you meaning, will give you reason. Again, let's look at that first verse there. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's something very special about that word created there, and it starts to tell us about the why. The why behind you exist. You see, in the, in the time of when Genesis was written, there were a lot of different philosophies and beliefs about the, why the world was created, how the world was created, excuse me. And a lot of them came back uh, to like Babylonian and Canaanite mythology. And every single belief system that we see about how the world came into existence has to do with gods who had wars. And I know that that sounds really crazy, but think about it today. How many people believe that they're just here by accident? They're just here by mistake. They're just here by chance. That there is no why behind their existence. Back in those days, people would talk about these divine beings having wars. They were bloodthirsty warlords, right? They didn't care about somebody else's story. They didn't care about somebody else's why. The existence of the earth was just a byproduct, a consequence. But then... There's the author of Genesis who's talking about the God of Israel. He says he is not a bloodthirsty warlord, but rather he's a divine artist who intentionally created you. That word create in Genesis chapter one, it is special. It's a word that's only assigned to God. There are other words in the Bible that talk about making something and humans can make stuff. They take supplies, they arrange them, and they've made something new. But that word there for create is bara. Turn to the person next to you and say bara. 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 God created. God bara. And only God can bara because only God can create something from nothing, is what this word insinuates. God did not accidentally stumble upon this place. God created you with so much intention and so much purpose that he would create you from nothing. There was nothing and God said there needs to be something and so he created you. Not a mistake. Not an accident. So why? Let's talk about the why. Why did God make you? Why did you show up? Because God wanted you intentionally, purposefully, you heard this in the Bible reading tonight. It said, so God created human beings in his own image. God created them, male and female. He created them in his own image. It just keeps on saying, he created them, he created them, he created them. And the Bible wants you to know, you were created in the image of God. When God looks at you, God sees reflections of himself. And what does that mean? That means that there is an objective, solid rock, immovable significance and value to every single human that has ever lived. And that includes you. You were intentionally created. You were purposefully formed. God did not accidentally stumble upon you. You were not the byproduct of some mistake. God purposefully and intentionally made you. And when God looks at you, God sees reflections of himself. So again, why were you created? God likes you. 
You were created because God likes you, because God enjoys you, because in you, God sees himself. I mean, this is the most beautiful and incredible thing. God sees you and he sees himself. And it's why when God looks at you, he reserves his greatest praise and his greatest enjoyment for you. Have you read through Genesis chapter one before? It's like a song. It's poetic. It says, on this day, God said this and there was this and God said it was good. Over and over again, it says, God saw that it was good. After, cre- after he creates, it says, and God saw that it was good. Verse four, verse 10, verse 12, verse 18, verse 21, verse 24, six different times, God sees something that he made and he says, ah, that's so good. But then God creates humanity. The word for humanity is Adam or Adam, which is oftentimes assigned to the name of the first man. Adam maybe represents more than just one person, but in Genesis chapter one, Adam is talking about us. I mean, really, make this personal. When God creates and he says that everything is good, he means it. But when God creates you, that's when he says, very good. Not worship, but God reserves his highest praise for you. Why do you exist? Why are you here? You are here because God likes you. You are here because God enjoys you. You are here because God loves you. And that will change your life. When you see the one who is so beautiful, when you see the one who you adore, looking back at you and saying, you're beautiful, I adore you, I like you, I love you, it changes us. But this is what God does. God reserves his highest praise for us. Do you know what it's like to look at someone and just enjoy them and never be able to get enough of them? This is what God feels like when he sees you. When was the last time that you fell in love? Maybe you haven't before, but maybe you have. When was the last time that you saw someone and you just felt those butterflies in your stomach? When was the last time that your heart started to beat so fast because you couldn't stop thinking about someone? Do you ever get bored of their presence? Do you ever wish that you weren't having that conversation? No, you could talk to that person forever. Makes me think about when I met my wife. I met my wife in 2014, and uh, there's the two of us on our wedding day. Yeah, yeah, Um, We met in 2014, and we met at a Bible camp, Ingham Okoboji Lutheran Bible Camp. She was up there for a weekend. I was working there as a program director. And when I met her, I was struck. I mean, immediately, I enjoyed her presence, right? Probably at first for superficial reasons, but then it became deeper and more meaningful, right? And it didn't matter how much time we spent around one another. I never got tired of enjoying her. I mean, at first, we started, and we just had this conversation, right? It was kind of like a greeting, and I'm really nervous. But then the greeting turns into, like, meaningful discussion. And then meaningful discussion turns into, like, hours of talking. And hours of talking turns into staying up all night, walking the streets of Okaboji, and then realizing, oh, my goodness, what's that little light ball in the sky? It's the sun. It's morning. I couldn't get enough. I couldn't stop enjoying her. I just really liked her. And it moves you. It changes you. It makes you do weird things, but you can't get enough of it. My favorite picture from our wedding day, well, not my favorite picture, but maybe the most standout picture from our wedding day is when I saw my wife for the first time. I mean, like, really, it moved me. It changed me. 
I'm overwhelmed. I was crying. I couldn't keep it together. I think I was hyperventilating. <laughs> I mean, that week that I met my wife, I should have been so tired. But I was energized. I couldn't get enough. Because I really liked her. I really enjoyed her. And it only made sense that I would tell her about it, that I would praise her presence, not worship. Keep that in mind. When you love someone romantically, you don't worship them, but, it, but you, you praise their presence. You praise their presence in your life. And we don't just do this with love. We do it with a lot of stuff in our life, don't we? You can go to the next slide. You, I don't need them to keep looking at my face like that. <laughs> we do this with a lot of stuff in our life, don't we? It's when we put down the drink, we say, oh, that's amazing. It's when we put down the fork after a delicious dessert, and we say, oh, that was great. It's when we listen to a song that was beautiful, and we say, you've got to hear this song. It's only natural to praise the thing that we enjoy. It's only natural that God praises the thing that he enjoys the most. Again, he doesn't worship us, but he gives praise for our presence. Because in you, he sees himself. In you, he sees someone he really likes. In you, he sees one who makes his heart race, who makes the butterflies in his stomach fly up and down. God really likes you. God really loves you. Like the things that we enjoy the most in this world, we can just never quite get enough of them. Like there's actually something about the most beautiful things in this world that leave us a little dissatisfied because we couldn't ever quite get enough. I mean, it's kind of like when you see like a precious baby, you know, and they're so cute. And that's where that phrase comes from. They say, oh, you're so cute. I could just eat you up. And you're like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> but what do you mean? What you mean is I, I can't get enough. I, I want connection here. It's the same reason why if you see this picture on the screen, like it's... It's beautiful, and maybe it moves you just to see it, but it would be something else to be connected with it, to actually be in the scene, to be there. But even if you were in the scene, even if you were there, there's something about the most beautiful things in this world that leave us a little bit dissatisfied because we can't quite be connected with them as deeply as we want to be. Do you know what I mean? If we get a little bit artistic about this, it's why the poets come up with these unbelievable but beautiful stories that talk about how the wind could sweep us off our feet and connect us into nature, right? That would be beautiful. There are poets, there are theologians, there are philosophers who talk about the thing that leaves us so dissatisfied about the most beautiful things in this world is that we can't connect with them as deeply as we wish that we could. I can't actually become one with nature. I can't actually eat up that person that is so cute. And that'd be weird. But there's something that just leaves us feeling a bit disconnected, a little bit dissatisfied. Because we see the most beautiful things in the world and they're at peace. And we're not. We're feeling restless. In Psalm chapter 66, it says, everything on earth will worship you. They will sing your praises, shouting your name in glorious songs. The Bible tells us that God's creation sings a song. It's praising him. And it's praising him perfectly. I mean, really, why is it that we see a mountain range and we think it's so beautiful? 
and we think it's so glorious. It's untouched. It hasn't been changed. It hasn't faltered. It's still singing God's praises. I mean, think about it. (laughs) I'm a human being. I've sinned. I've made mistakes. But the sunflowers that are coming our way in the spring, do they sin? Do they make mistakes? Well, no, they just sing God's praises. They just live out their purpose. And so when we see the most beautiful things in the world, what's the detachment that we feel? It's that we feel like we can't sing the song that they sing. All of creation longs to sing God's praises. I wonder if the reason why we feel detached from the beauty around us and the reason why sometimes we feel a little bit unfulfilled is because we're singing the wrong song. What if we sing the right song? Nature sings the song to the creator, sings the song of the creator. What if we did that? I'm getting to the end of the message here, and uh, at the end of the messages, Colin comes up and and he provides me with some spirit keys um, because I got to bring it home, and he helps me with that. You know what I mean? And usually he sneaks up, and maybe you don't even notice him, or maybe you do. I don't know. But as Colin plays, you notice like his hands work in harmony with each other. His hands don't play two different songs. In fact, if his hands played two different songs, Colin, what would that sound like? It's terrible. It's terrifying. It's bad. But what happens when his hands sing together? Ah. Do you already feel the peace? Do you already feel the harmony? Do you already feel excited? Some of you, every week, you see Colin come up here and get on the keys. You're like, ooh, okay, better sit up straight. They say that an audience gets 62% more attentive when you say I'm about to conclude and 100% more attentive when you bring in musical background. And 42% of statistics are made up. We're longing to sing a song in harmony with creation. Because we see the most beautiful things in the world and what makes them so beautiful is they've been untouched. They're singing the song that they were meant to sing. They're not so caught up on the how. I mean, sure, it's nice, it's cool, but they're more interested in the why. They know their why, they know their purpose. No, they don't have a conscious brain thinking out these things, but they were just designed and they sing out the song. They've been untouched. And for us, we are touched by the sin. And sometimes it causes us to sing a note that doesn't sound so pretty, right? It makes us want to go back before, you know, we had been touched by evil, before we'd been touched by sin, before there was the divide between us and the most beautiful things in the world. Do you know what it's like to feel divided from the most beautiful things in the world, the things that you enjoy the most? I mean, it makes you want to go back to the beginning, doesn't it? On Friday of last week, my wife was getting surgery. It's not like a very serious surgery. It wasn't life-threatening or anything. It was a planned, scheduled surgery, but nonetheless, it was still a surgery, and it had to happen. And she was in surgery for like two hours. But to me, it felt like an eternity. 
And in Mary Greeley Hospital, I'm sitting in this hospital room by myself, waiting for Abby to come back, and I just felt helpless. I couldn't do anything about it, right? I couldn't be the one to do it. I couldn't reunite us. I couldn't bring her back to me. And I know, like, it wasn't that serious of a situation. She's okay. She's recovering. She's at home right now. She's probably watching online, and I hope that she's enjoying her dinner. Hi, Abby. I love you so much. But in that moment, I felt this fear, right? It felt like forever to be divided and detached from the person that I enjoy the most in this world, from the person that I think is more lovely than anybody else. To me, that's who she is. And so I felt this detachment. And all I could think about was, can we just go back? Like, ah, can I get a react? God, is this ever going to end? I want to go back. Please bring her back. And as I'm sitting in there for what felt like an eternity, I actually started to think about the beginning. You know, when we met, I thought about the first time I saw her. I thought about the guy whose seat I stole so I could sit next to her. I thought about lying to her that I liked coffee just so that she, we could share it together. I thought about walking the streets of Okoboji together. I thought about the beginning. And I thought, oh man, I just want to go back. There's another part in the Bible that talks about the beginning. Because God sees humanity and God sees this divide and how we're not singing the song that he created us to sing. And so God talks about the beginning again. In John chapter 1, it starts the exact same way that Genesis chapter 1 starts. In the beginning. In the beginning, there was the Word. Of course, there was the Word. God spoke. There was the Word, and creation responded. That's what happens when God speaks. Creation responds. But then we started to sing our own song. There's this divide. And we can't go back, can we? We might have telescopes that can look back in time, but we don't have portals to be the one who creates it. In University of Iowa, maybe you can too. I don't know. You'll go to med school. These guys create computers, so maybe, you know what I mean? And it's like God's saying, I'm, in, I'm inviting you back, but we're going to go back by going forward. I'm going to give you that song to sing again. In the beginning, the word already existed. And in the same way that Genesis chapter 1 is so poetic and like a song and it's beautiful, God said something and then there was creation and God said it was good. God said something, there was creation and God said that it was good. God said something, there was creation, he said it was good. 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 God said something, there was humanity and God said it was very good. It's poetic. It's a song. It's the song that creation was always supposed to sing. And then in John, it, it, it's like a song again. It's poetic. It's beautiful. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. But then it says that the world rejected the Word. And then it says, so the word became human. The word joined the song. And 
And then the Bible names the word. It's Jesus. Jesus is this creative word of God. The reason why the word can create is because the word of God is a person. It's Jesus. And Jesus is bringing us back to the beginning by bringing us through our sin by saving us from the sin, the thing that's caused us to sing off notes, to sing our own song, to sing praises to ourselves, rather than the one that we think is really beautiful. And the one who looks back at us and says, you're beautiful too. In Colossians chapter one, it says that, for through him, God created everything. It's talking about Jesus. He made things we can see and the things we can't see. Everything was created through him. And then it says at the end of this little passage in Colossians chapter one, it says that through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. See, the word went to the cross. And for all of eternity, from before the beginning, before the word ever spoke and created, Anytime that the word said anything, there was always a response. God said, and there was, and God said it was good. God said, and there was, and God said it was good. Every time the word spoke, creation always responded. Every time the word spoke, it was the right song. Every time the word spoke, creation praised back. Every time the word spoke, the word was entirely fulfilled, complete. The word was filled with love. The word was filled with joy. The word was filled with hope. The word knew its purpose. The word knew its why. The word came into this world, became flesh and spoke and people responded and people loved and people changed and people were healed. The word spoke and creation responded. It's why when Jesus says to the paralyzed man, stand up and walk, the paralyzed man stands up and walks because creation responds to the word. And then the word hangs on a cross. And for the first time in all of eternity, the word speaks and nothing happens. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And no one was there for him. For the first time, No one responded. Peace with everything. The word is still teaching us how to sing because death could not silence the word. The word came roaring back. The word spoke again. And the word speaks your name. And the word says, I like you. I enjoy you. I love you. Your purpose is for me to give praise for your presence and for you sing the song with all of creation. That's when we experience real beauty in this world, not when we sing our own song, but when we sing the song that our creator has given us. Know your why. Know your purpose. Know the word. Sing to him. And you will be filled. Amen. Let's stand on up and sing together. Amen.